You're listening to Project Halo, helping the homeless with awareness and learning while observing the issues and solutions. I'll be talking to different professionals and organizations across Southern California that are connected to the homeless communities here to get an inside look on what's really happening. I'm your host, Crystal Zoller. I'll be talking with Andrew Linares, the volunteer manager at the Midnight Mission in Los Angeles, which got its name from serving meals at midnight back in the 1900s. As we walk around the facilities, we'll be discussing the services provided and some of the history. So we're here in front of the Midnight Mission. This is on San Pedro Street in L.A. How far are we from Skid Row? We're actually in the heart of Skid Row. The Midnight Mission positioned itself here back in 2005 because... We needed to be in the center, in the epicenter of what homelessness is. Gotcha. And the Midnight Mission's been doing work for over 100 years, correct? Correct. Since 1914, the Midnight Mission has opened its doors, serving the community. Um, where was it located before it moved here in 2005? From 1914 to 2005, the original location was on the corner of 4th and Los Angeles, which is essentially the outskirts of what is now Skid Row, but back in those days it was the outskirts of downtown. Okay, so today we're going to be later on providing lunch for those that are underserved out here in Skid Row, and you're about to give me a tour of the Midnight Mission right now, correct? Correct. And how long have you been working here, Andrew? So I've been working with the Midnight Mission since April of 2018, but before that I was in the program from 2015 to 2017. So I have the experience in both receiving the services as well as being a part of giving the services to those who need help. Wow. Can you talk a little bit about that time in your life and how you got through it and how you got to where you are right now? Absolutely. So, you know, from a very young age, I ended up, you know, always trying to find a way to be able to just hide my emotions, hide everything, deal with life on life's terms. And, you know, it resulted to me getting into hard drugs and a very possessed life with alcohol. And the end result of all of that, after so many, you know, things that I've put myself through in life, uh, I ended up on the streets in Downey. And at first it seemed like, okay, well, you know what, everyone else, it's, it's their fault, right? Like, I didn't take responsibility for my own actions. Not saying that that's the same story for everyone else here on our streets, because everyone has their own story. But mine is, I just had different ideas. And when I ended up on our streets, I saw it as something like some form of freedom, right? But eventually that freedom became really dark. That freedom became very lonely. It's like what we say in, in recovery of like, we have no friendly direction, right? I had nowhere to go. I had no one to call. My family at this point closed the doors on me. I had no friends. The only people that I could call friends were people that I was using drugs with. And with these people, I was constantly in fights and just not doing anything productive. Eventually I ended up having that as what we call also in recovery, that gift of desperation, right? That, that moment where I was able to see my life for what it was and wanting to, you know, see it differently, like have a different life. And so I ended up calling a, a friend that, I, you know, by this point, again, I had no friends, no nothing, but I, I started calling everyone on my phone book and one of them picked up and essentially just had made a bed reservation here for me at the Midnight Mission. And she was just waiting for my call. So that call finally came and she gave me the directions on where to go, what to do. And I came here and, you know, journey started from there. Wow. And so that's crazy. And I'm glad that you had that one friend that stuck by you still, even when waiting for you to, you know, come around. And that was a, a great friend. So after your time in the program, I'm guessing it had such an impact on you. That's why you came back to work here. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I <laughs> I always talk about this with some of the residents and also like with some of my friends. When I was here in the program, I was ready to leave. Just like probably most of the guys that are in our program or some of the women that are in our program, right? Like they've been here long enough and they're just ready to go. 
and they couldn't see the beauty that the Midnight Mission was, you know, teaching me, right? Like the skills that they were teaching me, the structure. But once I left the program, I kept finding myself coming here three or four times a week to come and visit the advocates that I had built connections with or the friends that I've made here while being in the program or if I was just bored, right? And I just wanted to come in and do something for volunteering. Like at the time I had one of my assignments that I had here was working in the education center and sometimes they needed help. So I'd, you know, spare some time to come in and help out. Other times I'd come and serve meals with the kitchen, right? And as time went on, I did this for about a year after moving out. And I had a friend that was also in the program here who was working for our public affairs department as the volunteer manager. And he saw me constantly here. I saw him, you know, outside of the Midnight Mission at some meetings. And they ended up having a position open for our community events coordinator. So he told me. Luckily, I was also looking for another job. So I was able to put in my resume and give it a shot. And I ended up getting hired, you know, which I never expected. Because, again, yeah. I walked out of the Midnight Mission, like, ready to leave here and be done with this. But I just kept finding myself back. And now I'm here. It's as, it became your community and you had ties to this like family or like friends and things like that. So that seems like it's a beautiful culture, the Midnight Mission. So in general, with homelessness being such an issue around L.A. and also during the times of COVID and all this stuff, what do you think are some of the things that as a community we need to be working on the most to help the homeless? As a community, it's definitely helping those that are on our street. Not everyone is ready to jump into a program like the Midnight Mission or the Salvation Army. Not everyone is ready to leave their tent, right? There's even a lot of people that aren't ready to get find recovery if they have an addiction. What I like that the Midnight Mission did for me that now taught me how to approach people in our streets is to meet them where they are, right? If they are at, in their tent, it's going to take some time to destroy that barrier that's between them and us, right? And, and hopefully gain their trust so that they can see, like, this person really does care about me and wants to help me. During the pandemic, actually, too, I had the opportunity to finally walk around even more because things slowed down here at work. And it just I needed to be outdoors instead of being indoors because I was fed up of being indoors. And so I started walking around my neighborhood. And I started seeing the number of tents on the sidewalks, right? I mean, it's something that you can't miss. You see it everywhere nowadays. And so what I started doing is, you know, if I have a couple bucks in my pocket or in my account, I'll take the time to go and buy some snacks, if not, you know, some food for the people living in, in my neighborhood, whether it's something from 7-Eleven with their deals or just going to Costco and buying boxes of snacks and drinks, right? And little by little, I just started walking around and letting people know, like, here you go, this is if you want this and then slowly as as I consistently started doing that more and more people started getting to know my face and they started getting to know me by name and I started getting to know them by name and eventually people started asking for help right which gave me the opportunity to be able to pull out my business card and just tell them like here if you ever need something come over here come to the midnight mission you know one of the things that I love too is reality of things that a lot of people that are not in skid row necessarily want to come to skid row and I don't blame them but now what I ended up doing because of so many people telling me, like, I'm going to stay out of Skid Row, is I try to find them the resources. And so I started, uh, you know, a log of places that people can go in the greater Los Angeles area, whether it's for clothing, food, shelter, you know, just building, building myself with facts and resources so that I'm not just walking around telling people, like, here you go, here's a handout, and then just walking away, right? Eventually, they're going to ask for help. Eventually, I want to be prepared for any of the services, you know, to help the person out. And so having this information on hand is very important. 
but most importantly is staying consistent with that information because a lot of things do happen to organizations, especially small ones. The Midnight Mission has been around for over 100 years, so we don't have to worry about anything. You know, we've been doing this for decades now, but other organizations, they're just starting off. So they may have more fluctuation. Right. Okay, so I'm ready to take the tour if you're ready to show me. We're going to start off right here really quick in the courtyard. So this courtyard is one of the features that I love about the Midnight Mission. So in our old, in our old venue, we didn't have a courtyard. It was just an entrance to the Midnight Mission's uh, building. Here in our courtyard, this was built especially to be a safe place for anyone in the community. Right now during the day, it's empty. And we do this so that we can hopefully have some intake people. So if one of the things that we notice is that when someone outside on the street sees another person sitting in here, they're going to be curious as to why they're in here and not everyone else, right? And eventually we, we can encourage them by letting them know they're waiting to get into our program, right? And then they're going to start asking even more questions if they are interested or if they don't even know that we have programs here, right? So when you say people are inside this courtyard area, would they be waiting here for multiple days or no, just a couple hours or... Just a couple of hours, they're just pretty much coming in to, like, while sitting here waiting to get into a program, what we're doing inside is we're trying to see what services they've had, if they have any any legal, like, issues, and also medical, medical, whatever medical information we can get. Because if they have severe medical issues, we don't have the necessary staff here. So we want to make sure that we find them a place to go. And on top of that, too, if they don't fit our program here due to, you know, whatever resources that we, we lack on, we want to make sure that we, you know, just don't tell them like, oh, best of luck, go find somewhere else. We want to help them. They're already at that point where they're willing to do something now. So we got to jump on that opportunity. So we find them another organization that's suitable for them and we get them going. We help them find a way to get to that organization. We put a referral out, which is pretty much one organization saying, we recommend this person for your program. Do you accept them? Yes, here you go. So that way that person is off the streets immediately. Does your program accept people who are still addicted to drugs or do you need to already be in recovery in order to be at the Midnight Mission? No, yeah, if you're coming off of drugs, of course, we're gonna take you in. It is difficult for a lot of people to realize like, oh, I can't be on anything moving forward. But that's the part where we get to, you know, be a part of and just show them. And especially like for someone like me who's been through the experience to keep up with the gentlemen that are in our program and try to be as resourceful for them. Shine that beacon of hope. So I just wanted to clarify the shelter here. You do allow people who are not fully recovered yet from the alcohol addiction or substance abuse. So if you're in a recovery program, you have to be sober because that's part of the requirement of trying to be sober, right? But for those who are in our shelter program, we don't have any control what you do outside of the doors. We do ask that you don't bring alcohol and drugs into our facility. And the reason why we do that is because, again, we have people here who are trying to get sober. We do separate them by dorm. So we have one dorm specifically for shelter, which, you know, essentially, you know, again, you, you don't have to be sober. You just can't bring the drugs and alcohol into the facility. And in the second dorm, we have our uh, recovery program, which, you know, it's supposed to be sustenance free. And those dorms are all located here at this location at the Midnight Mission? Correct. Uh, our men's facility is located on the second floor. Our women's facility is located here. For the women, we don't necessarily have a recovery program just yet. We are working on hopefully moving our recovery program from here in Skid Row to another location outside of Skid Row because it doesn't really seem um, conclusive to be able to have a recovery program in the heart of everything where you, you have drugs everywhere you walk out. 
Do you know if it's more common for men who are homeless to have drug or alcohol abuse issues versus women? No, it's about equal. Um, you know, just by the meetings that I go to and the number of women that are in there and the, men, the number of men, like, it really doesn't have, like, one's higher than the other. What's different is the stories and behind each, each person uh, and why they went to, you know, to those extremes. I mean, we've even had some people here who are just hard users. They're not necessarily alcoholic addicts. They're just people that needed to use hard at the time that they needed to use hard because things were difficult, but give them sufficient reason to stop and they will stop, right? But that all depends on the individual. And that's really a personal thing. But eventually, if you are one of us, a person that needs recovery, the signs are gonna be out everywhere and you're gonna be out of solutions. So eventually yeah. you're gonna have to find recovery. So is there a reason at this moment there's only recovery for men, but not recovery specifically for women? Well, during the 90s or the 70s, when, you know, the numbers did change when we started this program and we just never really changed anything. We started it off with the, the crisis in Bridge in 2016. But statistically, you know, through the world of recovery, before the 70s, before the 60s, mostly all the alcoholics were men. The women back in those days were supposed to be housewives and all this other, you know, stigmatic things of women playing their roles. But by the 70s, the number of women started rising even more. The number of young people started rising even more. The standards for an alcoholic started dropping because no longer was it important for someone that had money and had a house and had cars. You know, the number of kids drinking to overcome domestic violence and all these other things started happening more and more. And by the 90s, men and women were just getting, you know, out there, especially with the families. So you start seeing the pattern a little bit. But from 1974 to 2016, you know, things have changed. Things have definitely changed. A lot more men were, were seeking help. Women weren't really asking for recovery help at the time. And those that were, you know, we just didn't have the bed space available to accommodate one person. So we would refer them to an all women's program like the Downtown Women's Center or a recovery program outside of Skid Row. Gotcha, okay. So we have our access center that happens here during the daytime. At night, what I love is at 7 p.m. every day, we open our gate up. We let anyone in the community to come in and just put their stuff down and be able to relax. Now, yes, it may sound like we are co-signing the idea of being outdoors, but when you're not ready, you're not ready. And we can't force anyone to come into our program. But what we can do, again, this is one of the ways that we can meet somebody where they are. If they're not ready to get into a program, then we can at least give them a safe place to sleep. We have 24-hour security here guarding the building, guarding the entrance, guarding the restrooms. So if someone wants to come in and at least have a good night's sleep without having to worry about getting assaulted, rape, theft, you know, we open our gates up at 7 p.m. and we let people go ahead and come in here. If it's raining, we will open our dining room, which I'll show you in a minute. So we try to make use of the spaces that we have here at the Midnight Mission, but we also want to make sure that we're putting that fine line of or that boundary of, we also want you to come in and help and get some services because it's not conducive for you to be on the street. And so one of the things that I love is that we do have heaters here that will keep people warm and during the, the cold season. We have public restrooms that are 24 hours available to the community. 
We do shut it down twice a day to clean it. But other than that, it's open for anyone to come in. For the longest time, we were the only organization that had public restrooms available 24-7. But because of the pandemic and the number of people that are ending up on our streets more and more every day, another organization opened up another restroom in 2018. So we're happy to you know, work with these partners. We do provide everyone here in our community with hygiene kits, with clothing. You'll see pretty soon here in this tent area, we'll have racks put together and we're gonna have clothing for men and women. And so if you're coming into the restroom and you wanna take a shower and switch your clothes, all you have to do is just let us know what size you are. And if we have it, we'll give it to you. All free of charge. Do they have to sign up for any services or that's just like if they walk up and they need clothes, they can get clothes in that moment? Yep. You just walk up and ask, let us know that what you need and we will provide it for you if we have it. And chances are that we will. That is a very, very helpful service, especially for those people that might be scared to sign up for something or don't have trust yet fully. So we want to make it as simple as possible for them. Again, meet them where they are. At this point, Andrew and I joined a group of girls from a high school down in San Diego who were there for a tour of the Midnight Mission and to volunteer. We stood in the back of the large dining hall to avoid disturbing the residents as they were eating. Andrew started off by sharing some history on how the name Skid Row might have come to be. So there's actually a neat little history about Skid Row. That back in the 1800s, Skid Row was actually first created somewhere in Oregon where lumberjacks in their, in their area that they would stay, you only worked ate and slept. And so after a while, you know, you'd have all that entire field where you just had that, right? right? Workers with chopping down trees in a muddy place, right? And so sometimes they would place wood bearings into the ground so that way they can maneuver some wood around and from one place to another. And eventually that's what Skid Row came from. But what became now the Skid Row evolving from that was the place where they slept, they had their food, their bars. So essentially, like if you want to imagine like a old Western show where like you have, you know, saloon and all that, it would be kind of like that, but it was all just woodworkers. Eventually the name got reintroduced into the most grimiest areas in major downtown areas because that's what it was. It was a grimy area during the 1800s. You won't see any first class people near the Skid Row working areas, same thing here, right? All the financial businesses are outside of Skid Row. So that's a little history about Skid Row. One of the tour participants expressed how impressive it is to know that everything is donated and that the Midnight Mission doesn't turn people away. Andrew then gave us some more insight. Food, hygiene, clothing, hours. You are donating your time and energy to help our chefs to provide meals to the community. And it helps us save costs so that we can use the money that we do get donated to things that people need. So if it's more extra food when we're low on something or if it's to get meats, then we can get that stuff. If it's hygiene items when we start running low, we can start getting some of those items. We do spend a couple thousands in being able to put together events for the community, but literally we try to stay within a budget and we try to make it just for the community. Right. If anyone else wants to come in, you're either going to be coming in to volunteer, but you can't sit around watching everything go down. You have to do something because these events like our Easter event that's coming up, that's for the community. It's not for our donors. It's not for our volunteers unless you're volunteering. But if you're unhoused and you have nothing for yourself, you're welcome to come here and we will provide you a meal. We'll have music for you. We'll have a giveaway. This year, we're actually going to have uh, testing and vaccinations available. We're gonna have a pet clinic and we're gonna have barbers. So if anyone wants to get a haircut or get their hair done, we're gonna have that available for them. And we're just trying to make sure that everyone in the community is able to celebrate 
festivities like we all can, right? Easter, Thanksgiving, Christmas, all those. But everything's pretty much donated, even your time. So we appreciate that. The girls broke away to volunteer in the kitchen where I would be joining them later. And Andrew showed me around the rest of the midnight mission. One of the things that I do want to mention is normally in this dining room right here, fun fact, Disney, when we build this together, Disney was one of the volunteer groups who comes in several times and they took it upon themselves to help us with the design of this building. So if you've been to the Disney cafeteria, this is actually the same replica. And the only difference is that in each square or um, portrait, it's uh, portraits of downtown or Los Angeles County instead than like a Disney character or anything like that. So it does resemble now the Disneyland Cafe. Wow. <laughs> but one of the fun facts that we that I love about this is pre pandemic, we will be able to house 500 people here to have a meal three times a day, breakfast, lunch and dinner. And what I love is that we again, we are a multi purpose place like we love making good use of our spaces. So when there's no meals being served here to the community, this becomes an auditorium, an amphitheater, a staging or an art studio. We have our With a Mission program where we provide an artistic opportunity for people to express themselves through art. Trust me, a lot of people here need to express themselves. They, they want to find a way to express themselves. And so we give them that opportunity for about an hour and a half once a week. And we also provide music, which is also another great volunteer opportunity where if you're a musician or a singer, you can come here and perform for the community for an hour and a half and interact with them and find out what they are feeling when they hear your music. And it's all for free. And then the last thing is we have our open mic or our um, laughter with the mission where we have an alumni who comes here and hosts, who's also a comedian, and he'll do a couple, you know, stand-ups for a couple of minutes, and then he'll invite anyone in the community to come up and show us their talent, whether it's singing, poetry. If it, I mean, we've had a juggler just come by and play music and juggle balls and show us, like, it, it felt like a Circus Soleil type of thing, you know? And it's all, again, for the community. What I love about the Laughter with the Mission, though, is that it's for the community to come up and share with their peers, right? Compared to a volunteer taking the, the stage and doing it for them. And you'd be surprised on how much fun these events can be for them. I like also the art, like all three of them I love. Each one plays their part. The art with the mission, I get to just play music and provide snacks and then sit down with these people and color and draw and just talk to them like a normal human being, right? Because that's what they are. And that's the point of these events is to bring back the humanization in for them, make them feel that they are a part of, not separate from. And one of the, and that's where we stand with that. When we use the term homeless, we don't use the, the term as a noun, we use it as an adjective. So you'll never hear me or anyone here say the homeless. We'll always use that as an adjective as our homeless community, right? Our unhoused population or our underserved community, right? Because it's not, it, we're trying to make sure that we include them with us because at the end of the day, they are just like us, just divided by circumstance. That's all it is, right? But we look forward to having the day where we can invite everyone inside. Right now, our meal services are being done from our front gate to the community as a to-go meal. And it sucks and it's unfortunate that we've been doing it that way, but we have to think of everyone that's also staying in here because this is their home. So that's the dining room right here. So we, like I mentioned earlier, outside we do have 24-hour security here. Uh, there's always going to be someone at this window ready to be on the call when we need law enforcement here or paramedics. We have charging stations, which are new, right here. So we'll give them a code, and if someone wants to charge their phone, they just plug it in, close it up. After an hour, 
They put in their code, grab their phone, and they can go about their day. This has been a part of the Midnight Mission also since cell phones started coming out because we know how important it is for people to have cell phones. We try to provide as many services to everyone. Our security would normally have diapers and baby wipes for single parents who need assistance with that. If anyone needs help with groceries, they can come to our security and let them know and they will communicate with our kitchen that there's someone here looking for groceries. And that's pretty much it with this section. <laughs> so you said there was an education center, correct? Yes, we're actually going in there right now and it's been remodeled during the middle of the pandemic through Triple H funding which is the funding that we put our name out so that we can get funding to be able to remodel or fix some things. Like our AC center was kind of not working for a while and it's been difficult to try to find the appropriate funding for good biddings. But we finally got it and now here we are, especially now during the summer, which is needed. But our Mary Murphy Library is mixed in with our education center. Um, our education center is meant so that we can help our community further their education if not complete their education. A lot of the people here in Skid Row have either never completed school, so they don't have a high school or GD, or stopped there and then just didn't seek anything else, right? And so for those who did not get a high school diploma, our goal is to help prepare you for that test. And so we have volunteers who come in and teach the four basic skills uh, for GED, which is history, language, arts, uh, math, and science. And uh, they will help guide you in preparing for this test. And when you feel that you're ready, the Midnight Mission will pay for your testing fees. And all you have to do is just go take the test and pass. And if you don't, we're not gonna put a limit to it, so long as you do pass. And that's where some of the money that we save goes to, right? It's to help them out. Some of this money will also help with getting any important documents like your birth certificate or social security. We also have other classes here that are done through our computer. So if you'd be surprised how many people do not know how to maneuver a mouse or turn on a computer, which is, you know, for you and I, something simple and basic, right? And so to teach somebody those skills, again, to require some time and effort. And so our staff tries to find the volunteers that will help with that from basic skills to intermediate to advanced. And we have uh, Microsoft IT programs, which teach you how to work your way around a Excel spreadsheet or a Word document, which is beneficial. So if you're looking for an entry level or a job in an office space. So all these skills are, again, available for our residents for, fr for free. All they have to do is just come into our program. We also have guitar classes. Well, we'll be having guitar classes and writing, uh, writing skills classes. Um, and we've even had vocal classes and everything. So we try to make it as fun and entertaining for our residents here. The Mary Murphy Library has been, this has been a part of the mission since 2005 when we opened. All the books that we have here have been donated to us from either schools, libraries, or individuals. And we try to run it we're gonna to try to run it as a normal library. The only difference is that we're, if you like a book, keep it. We encourage you to keep it. If you get tired of the book, you can either bring it back to us or give it to someone else. We won't hold you for any fines for keeping a book longer than needed or any of that because it's a great escape or a great skill to have. That's the goal with our education center. Our ACE Center, which is our the academic and career evaluation, they help our residents with learning how to build resumes. They get you connected with corporate companies to help you find employment. There's actually one of our board of directors brings some of his co colleagues here to uh, teach 
job skills. So he'll have weekly classes talking about specific subjects of what to do, what not to do when looking for work. And at the end of that session or semester, he'll bring real corporate company managers into the Midnight Mission to do mock interviews. At the end of each mock interview, they will give you pointers of where your strengths and where your weaknesses are. So all this is, again, part of uh, our way of building our community back up in learning how to be self-sufficient. Norm Harris, who owns his own business in the Valley, and he's a, a huge supporter of the Midnight Mission, and he's also well-known with several musicians, rock musicians. He's gotten us a lot of donors from his pool of people, and we've had several of them come and perform for our community in the past, whether it's at our street fair or music with the mission or for any other event, so. Is there a limit to how long people can stay at the Midnight Mission? We do have a time limit on paper. So for our Crisis and Bridge program, you have three to six months. For our recovery program and our home life family living program, that's a year-long program. But we don't stick to it because we know that for every single case, it, it's going to take its time, right? Depending on what age restrictions you have, what health restrictions you have. You know, a lot of people have their own individual stories, like I mentioned earlier. So we know it's going to take probably a little longer for someone who is over the age of 65 with major health conditions than someone that is 20 years old and just has a sniffle, right? So we tend to just go based as to how much you get done. For me, it took about almost two years to you know, move out of the midnight mission. That's what it took for me. Other people were here for three months and they were able to get their own place. So It all just depends kind of person to person. Right. It's the same thing with... Uh, anyone in the streets, right? Some people are going to be able to have housing. Other people are going to have to probably find someone, you know, with, to help with their mental health state, right? We'll have people that are going to be returning back. One of the things that we have seen is that our doors do become a revolving door. People come in and out several times, and we're going to have to be patient with that and make sure that we are prepared to help them. So I know that pets or dogs are allowed to be in the dining room while people are eating. Are they allowed to stay with the residents Yes, and it's up to the resident to maintain the uh, cleanliness and the quietness of the dog or the pet. We will accept dogs, sometimes cats, <laughs> dogs mostly because that's one that it's common. But if we won't take, if we don't have room for them anymore again here, again, we will refer them somewhere where they can get the services that they need. Awesome. As far as homelessness in LA, and you see it in the heart of it because you're right here working at the Midnight Mission, on Skid Row, you've experienced it yourself in the past, um, and it seems to be getting worse, hopefully in the future getting better, but the homeless community, where do you see it changing or getting better or getting worse in the next like five years? If we get the resources that we need in creating more housing and creating more resources, right? Right now, the Midnight Mission can help probably about 400 when it comes to anything away from our basic services, right? Which is the three meals a day, a place to shower, right? We can, we can help about 350 to 400 people at a time. But here in Skid Row, we have about 5,000 to 10, you know, 10,000 individuals in our streets living here. That number super exceeds any of the housing that we have here. I mean, one of our neighboring organizations probably houses about 2,000 people, yet we still can't make a dent, right? Um, and with the number of people that come into Skid Row, it becomes difficult, but we do our best. And I feel that if things start changing up from now until 2027, it definitely is gonna require a lot more resources, finding the staff to be able to help identify every individual's need and what caused them to become homeless 
it's having those resources available for mental health, substance abuse, as well as housing. Having the housing available for people, affordable housing, that can definitely help out a lot. But, you know, it's also very costly. And here in Los Angeles County, you know, we have so many rules and regulations for building a loan that it makes it even 10 times difficult. So hopefully that will start changing around and that way we can see more of a change in our community and what's going on here in Skid Row. Right here we have the Los Angeles Christian Health Center, which is a partnering organization. Here they provide basic clinical checkups. So they'll do the most basic checkups with you. And if you have any severe needs that need to be checked, then they will refer you to their bigger location, which is now opened on 7th and Wall. So the barbershop has been part of the Midnight Missions from the very beginning. So again, Tom Littleco just thought that it was important to help somebody feel good from the outside to be able to seep into the inside. Another thing that's grown from the Midnight Mission is the fact that we are non-sectarian, which means that we are not a religion-based. We're not a spiritual base. We're more in the service of helping people than putting more barriers on top of what they already have. We believe that in order to believe in something, you need to receive something. And in other organizations, it's the opposite. You have to believe in something in order to receive something. And so just, again, that's our way of meeting them where they are. You don't have to come here religious, uh, you know, being religious or a atheist or agnostic. You can come in here however you are and we'll still help you. So what happens is that allows us to break down the walls with them and they can feel comfortable. And that's actually how they got me in here as well. So uh, it's definitely like a, a nice little key factor of, you know, how I got in here. So were you not religious or? So I'd say I'm more agnostic, spiritual agnostic, I guess, because I do practice my own craft, but I'm not religious of any sort. So it brought you in here because you didn't feel like, oh, I have to believe in this or that. So that really connected you a lot. Yeah, I didn't have to go to church or a sermon or before a meal. I didn't have to pray before going to bed. Here they just, you know, I needed a bed. They got me into a bed. I needed food. They gave me food. I actually wanted to ask you something about that experience and you going through homelessness and uh, dealing with drug addiction. Was it difficult after all of that to reconnect with your family? At first it was a little difficult because I've burned the bridges several times with them, right? They didn't know whether I was telling the truth this time or if anything was going to change really. So and for good reason, right? But as I stayed here, stayed put, continue to slowly contact them and just, you know, just to check in without asking for anything, right? Which is the important part. They started seeing that things were changing. And the next thing I know is my family's coming here to visit me. So definitely, you know, being here with my family, little by little, they started seeing the change in me. And today, you know, I have my family back in my life. What I like to say is that my mother no longer is losing sleep because of me, trying to wonder what's going on with me. She can sleep soundly knowing that I'm at my bed asleep. <laughs> And she has a huge respect for this organization and for, you know, my 12-step program because both organizations tackled what was holding me down and it continues to save my life and the life of others. And they see that. Let's say someone is ready or almost ready to join a 12-step program or something like that. What would you say to them if they're like on the fence, but maybe they are kind of closer to ready than not? What would you say to kind of uh, show them that it is a good thing to do that? Well, whether you're ready or not, all I can suggest is come and stop by and just listen. And when you come in and listen, try to listen to the similarities and not the differences. And if you don't know what that means, you'll see what I mean. You know, when I came into my first 12-step meeting, 
which was actually here at the Midnight Mission, because we do have some panels here. I was able to hear how people were using in the sense of why they were using, right? Like, obviously everyone uses differently. There are going to be some stories where you can relate with 100%. But the main thing that I related with any kind of speaker that I've heard is why they use. And usually it was to escape from something. It's usually because you don't want to face something that's either the truth or very harmful and painful. And, you know, what would follow after that is that they would give me a solution on what it is that they did. And uh, for me, that's what I needed. That's what I've been trying to find my entire life. What was the, the book of life, right? Like, how does one live life? How does one get up to go to work and pay their bills on time and, you know, be friendly with others? Why, like, why? Why, do why do we do that, right? And I've learned how to do that just through the 12 steps, you know? Uh, it sounds crazy, but it does work. And it's helped me out. And again, I'm a, a, a spiritual agnostic, right? I'm someone that should not be alive or having the life that I have today, but yet here I am. Well, I think it's good that you're here today and I'm glad you have the life you have today. But I think that's really important for people to understand and know that like the 12-step program can help people. And you said the Midnight Mission does have chapters of that here? Yes. So actually right now, because uh, things are getting a little calm again from COVID, I'm working on starting to bring back 12-step panels, which means it's not going to be a huge meeting. It's just going to be a couple speakers coming in and sharing for our residents. And we're going to start off with just our residents before we had it for anyone that wanted to join in. But for now, it's going to be our residents. So I'm working on getting that going in all types of fellowship, whether, you know, it's for crystal meth or alcohol or any of that. It's We're going to try to be as inclusive as possible. How did you start doing drugs? Was it just for fun or was it an escape from the beginning? It was... So after doing some hard work, at first I would have said that it would have been just for fun. But in reality, I just I was always looking for something to, because I was always un uncomfortable under my own skin. I didn't know how to talk to people. Like having this conversation right now with you looking in my eyes, like it's uncomfortable, right? But after so many years of, you know, being able to stay sober and actually learn how to do these things, I couldn't do that before. The only time that I was able to do that was if I had been drunk or high. And even high, I wouldn't have been able to do it 100% perfectly as I am doing right now. And so like what ended up happening with drugs is it started off as a self-medicated type of thing. And then it was fun with some of the problems, right? In recovery, we say that it started off to be fun and then fun with problems and then all problems. And that's true for me. And when it became all problems, it just got to a point where I just, I couldn't see myself living with drugs and alcohol and I couldn't see myself living without it. Right? Like I just didn't know how to live anymore. I didn't know how to function and do anything in life, which already was a problem to begin with, you know? So in the recovery world, they taught me step-by-step step how to do things, right? How to be comfortable. One of my favorite speakers always said that he, as a result of working these steps, he's been able to have a quiet head and a calm stomach, which is to me in one word, peace. And that's what I've been wanting to have for years, my entire life actually, and now I have it. Thank you so much for having this conversation with me, Andrew. Is there still time for me to volunteer at the lunch area? There sure is. You got 15 minutes until we open up our gates to feed our homeless community. Okay, so let's go back over there and I'll be doing that now. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you so much, Crystal. Thank you, Andrew. The Midnight Mission is in the heart of Skid Row. When I volunteered, I was in the courtyard handing out plated lunches to go. It's difficult to explain the experience in just a few sentences, but it's definitely a unique one. The people experiencing homelessness on Skid Row are suffering. 
a lot of times they don't have protection from the elements, whether that be really cold nights or the day that I was there, a lot of heat. Being able to serve them a meal definitely felt like a good thing, but it really doesn't feel like enough. The issue of homelessness here in Southern California is layered and is going to take time before we can get to a functional zero. But we have to look at the successes, not just the difficulties of going forward. And Andrew Linares, the volunteer manager who gave me a tour of the Midnight Mission, is one of those stories. He's a success. I commend him for giving back in the way of getting volunteers out and giving tours of the Midnight Mission and allowing me to ask him extremely personal questions about his experience with homelessness and addiction. Although we won't be able to house the vast majority of the homeless community here in Los Angeles overnight, at least there are organizations like the Midnight Mission, the People Concern, the OC Rescue Mission, and so many other organizations that are working diligently to help the homeless community. Everyone has a story. And each person's reason for experiencing homelessness could be vastly different from one another. Although the predictions are that it might get worse before it gets better, I believe that if we all continue to work on the issues of homelessness here in Southern California, that we will be able to come up with many more solutions. I'm Crystal Zoller, and thank you for listening to Project Halo.